0: You're a regular with us. You know where we're going. Nehemiah, chapter four, uh, part two. We considered the first nine verses this past Sunday, this past Lord's Day, and today we'll try to finish up uh, chapter four. Some great truths, great application uh, for us today. I changed the uh, the intro. This morning, I went to a uh, a meeting yesterday, learned some very, very valuable information, more than information, really, information about uh, discipling the nations. And uh, one of the things that shocked me and shocked some other people, uh, a report was given, survey several years ago was done, on the the Protestant church and the state of uh, evangelism missions in the church. And so I I want to begin today by asking a question. I, I really need to see a show of hands. Because what I heard made me fear that if that statistic was true, then how have we done as a church, and really how have I done as a pastor, in leading you and teaching you from God's Word. So, I I want to see your hand raised in the affirmative to this question, only if you can answer to the affirmative. How many of you have heard of the Great Commission? Raise your hands. Keep them up for a minute. I just, I just want to see if I'm counting correctly. That looks like the great majority. In this survey, this is shocking. And, and our guess is among Protestant churches, 51% of the people in Protestant churches answered that they had never heard of the Great Commission. Now, that's stunning. And, and that is tragic. And so I wanted to make sure the majority of you raised your hands. That doesn't mean that we're a great church and the other churches are not great churches. It simply means that hopefully somewhere along the way that we have been teaching what was on the heart of Jesus. And I shared with the, the, the people in the new member class it is not the ultimate goal, it's the penultimate. You know what penultimate is? It's the next to the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is the glory of God. But how do you get there? It's through the Great Commission. And so let's once more go back, and I want to read for you the Great Commission. And the Young's literal translation gets it closer to the actual Greek than the majority of other texts. So that you and I can know this is what we are about We're going to get into this and see how it goes all the way back to the book of Nehemiah, and then it confronts us again. Just say this with me, and and we'll say it slowly enough so that you can follow along and realize that this is the commission given to the church of Jesus Christ. And having come near, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Given to me was all authority in heaven and on earth. Having gone then, disciple all the nations, baptizing them to the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all whatever I did command you. And lo, I am with you all the days till the full end of the age. Now, that may seem like a little awkward read, but it gets the verb right. That you and I, along with the nation of Israel, have been given the commission. This is us. This is heritage. It may come as a little bit of shock to you that the Great Commission was not given through the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> or even to pioneers. They didn't exist then. It was given to the church to go into all the world and to disciple the people groups that are out there. Amen. I, I love Young's literal translation. It almost went into a little bit of Yoda mode for me. Given to me was all authority. But that puts the emphasis where it needs to be. Given to me, Jesus, all authority. And that's why, as you go and fulfill the Great Commission to disciple the nations, you can bet that I will be with you to the end of the age. But that, in essence, is what we're talking about. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to pick up and we're going to walk through verses 10 through the end of the chapter. We're going to look at that in these three movements that I've given you today. When God calls a people to be his own, through Abraham, this was their commission. Let me say it again. Because Israel forgot about that, and sometimes as we read the Old Testament, we forget that this is what Israel was supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be taking the glory of God to the nations of the world, but they failed in that commission. They were sent into exile into Babylon. but Lo and behold, because God is not only a just God, but because he is a merciful God, a God full of compassion, he brought them back to Jerusalem. Look at this. He gave them another shot. Now, that's history. Let's fast forward to something that we can relate to even more. Let's fast forward another 400 years. God planted the church on the day of Pentecost to do the same thing, to take the gospel to the nations. Please hear me when I say our goal, church, is not to give our culture good advice so that people can be better. Our job, our commission, is to bring the good news so that they can be saved from their sin. Our goal is not character building. Our goal is conversion. And this is a huge shift, as I said last week. I hope you caught it. I'm going to review it before we get to the three points. This is absolutely a huge shift in our worldview, to see that the people of God, that's us, the church, That we are planted in a fallen world, and that everything that we do to take the gospel of God's light into that dark world, let me put it this way militarily, is an attack. God's agenda is to save people. What does that mean? For most of us growing up, it meant just nothing more than coming to church and, and being saved so that we wouldn't go to hell and singing songs and doing our thing. But no, it's much more than that. We, since the moment you were born again, you have been on the attack, whether you know it or not. We'll come back to this in just a second. And our job is to share the gospel so that the, that the people of the nations, the people groups, from our neighborhoods to the nations, could be delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Do you know what we're doing? We we are. This little church here, Heritage Baptist Church, we're not the biggest, we're not the best, we're not the fanciest, but this little enclave of believers has been given an incredible job that if if we are true to our commission, then we are literally depopulating hell. Kind of puts a different spin on coming to church, doesn't it? So that is why I said last week, you got to think of it like this. It's not the world and Satan and the culture and the world system attacking us. It's us who are on the advance and attacking the kingdom to bring the gospel of light. God's agenda is to save people. Guess what? Satan's agenda is to keep that from happening. And as we saw last week he will do everything he can. He will raise up, and this is in verses 1 through 9 that we're not going to go back and read. He will do everything he can. He will raise up a Sanballat. He will raise up a Tobiah. He will raise up a Geshem. He will raise up the Ashdodites, That's outside. Those are the outside forces. And this week we're going to see something else. He will also, watch this, he will also move from within the covenant people of God. We're talking about the church in this, in this instance. And he will raise up the Techoites. He will raise up Judah. He will raise up the people of God to try to thwart, the work of God in taking the gospel to the nations. I want to show you a graphic. Um, Remember a couple of weeks ago, we were doing the gates and the walls, and I gave you that little graphic, and you may still have that, and I almost used that and put those words in, but I wanted to to kind of step out so you could see geographically, and this this is not in Nehemiah's day, okay? But it's a map that you can kind of see. And I wanted you to see something that overlays on on what we are dealing with today as a church. Okay? Here literally, this is verses 1 through 9. This is review. They were surrounded. Sanballat, the Horonite, and all the Samaritans. That's north. Tobiah and the the Ammonites. Geshem, the Arab, all of the Arab nations, and then Ashdod was the leading city of the Philistines. And you fast forward to the New Testament time, and the words of Paul take on new meaning. And this is this. Now, you see Jerusalem down there? That little circle? Jerusalem? Insignificant? Nothing? God plants them in, in, in the middle of this huge opposition. and No wonder Paul said, you know, as the church was planted, this little enclave of believers going out into the world according to Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. No wonder he said we are hard pressed on every side. That's a picture of us in the world today. So, along comes a guy by the name of Nehemiah to encourage the people. We're going to see another form of that opposition. You just saw the the graphic of the opposition from without. We're going to see as we read through this passage of Scripture, chapter 4 beginning with verse 10, that there was also opposition from within. Now, I hope you did what I encouraged you to do last week. I encouraged you to go through the book of Acts. I hope you'll still do that. I do that every once in a while, and I think I told you in my Bible, every time the church advances, I put the word attack right there. Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, attack. Peter and John, healing the lame man, attack. Oh, then the council comes and tells them not to and threatens them, counterattack. And so all the way through, we see that. And God scattering the people, the persecution of Stephen, all the way through. It's the attack. It's the counterattack, and you need to see that we are on the attack. And along the way, God sends people to be encouragers, like Nehemiah, like Barnabas and Paul in the New Testament, and they encourage them so that they will keep after the business to which they were called. All right, let's go. First point is this. Kind of reckons back to this last week. Expect and prepare for opposition to your work of building the wall. We're going to talk about what exactly does that mean to build the wall. We're going to use some word pictures and what I really feel like that means for you and for me. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. Now watch this. You and I, let me say this first. Go back to something I said. You've got to get it. Students, please get this. Young adults raising children, median adults, people in a different season of life, older people who had to work and struggle to get here today. Let me share with you. You have been called and commissioned to be a citizen soldier. That's why I put the title of of this little part one and part two, citizen soldier. You are worker warriors. Let me put that together for you in one verse, according to the Apostle Paul. Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven, okay? Dual citizenship, all of you have at least that. You've got at least one citizenship here, but you've got another citizenship in heaven, and you're looking for a savior. All right? So you're citizens of heaven, but you're also called, as Paul said to Timothy, and all of us in this room today share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Here's the key it's not a question of whether or not you want to be, this is a fact. When you became a Christian, you might not have realized this, but anyone who has served in the military and you go into basic training. Back in my day, I went with long hair, went with my bell-bottom jeans. Oh, my. Showed up. I was handed nicely pressed uniform. Didn't matter that it didn't fit quite right. My next stop was the barber. There was a lot of hair on the floor. Uh, mine, is, as well as other recruits. And then you change, and they put all of your, your, your old clothes into a bag, and you don't, you don't wear those all the way through. Basic, I mean, you've got a new uniform. You have a new identity. You are a warrior. Uh, you may be a warrior in training. You've taken on a new Identity. There's no question. The only question is, what kind of recruiter are you going to be? You got some regs? Are you going to follow those regs? Or are you going to do what you need to do? Is what you do, please hear this, students. Please hear this, adults. Is what you do going to match up to your new identity as a citizen-soldier? That's why I share with you it may not happen as vigorously as in some countries in a place like Turkey or other places like that. When you sign up, when you follow Christ, there is such a radical change that your family may come to kill you. Will you stand firm? That's the question. Now, here's where we are. The Jews have been given the job of building the wall. They have the opposition from the outside. but Nehemiah basically says, we're going to keep on building. Now, watch what happens and watch where the new threat comes from. Verse 10, Nehemiah 4, 10. In Judah... What? Yeah. In Judah, it was said, there's several things going on here. The strength of those who bear the burden is failing. Second, there's just too much rubble. Third, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Fourth, and our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come in among them and kill them and stop the work. It's moved from an outside threat to an inside kill job. Verse 12, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You've got to return to us. Now look at me. We expect the attacks from the outside. That is a narrative that is out there and we expect it and we know it and it's not going to slow us down. But I'll tell you what can slow the warrior worker down, the, the builder battler, the citizen soldier down down. Quicker than anything is when the opposition comes from the inside. Now, I'm not sure that Judah and the others meant to do it. And if you will look at what I just read, everything that they said had an element of truth to it. But you've got to ask, why did they say it? These are brothers and sisters. Judah, the lead tribe. This is the tribe through whom the Messiah was going to come. These are brothers and sisters in Christ from the inside. It's not Satan now. It's the saints. And sometimes those closest to us can be the biggest hindrance in our work of building and battling. kingdom kingdom building. Classic example is Peter. When on the way to the cross. Now do you know what came right before Matthew 16 23? It's a verse that we'll see in just a minute. Matthew 16 18. Jesus promised to build his church. It's a guarantee. It's a promise and yet Peter comes up to him and tries to thwart God's agenda by inserting man's agenda, which in reality is simply Satan's agenda. He turned to Peter and said, because Peter said you're not going to do that, you're not going to go to the cross. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I'm not even sure how to apply that in a situation like this except to ask you as a follower of Christ. How are you speaking to your brothers and sisters in Christ about some things that may even be true? Are the words that you speak meant to build up? Or are they just words Now, let let me fine-tune this. What am I talking about? And that's general, and you can can get out of that. So let's talk about it in terms of covenant relationships, because in verse 14, we're going to see that's what it, it really is all about. Let's talk about covenant relationships. Let's talk about first, what's the most important covenant relationship you have this side of heaven? I'm talking about with Jesus Christ. What is it? Not everybody has it in this room today, but most of you do, a lot of you do. What is it? It's your spouse. And there are times when unwittingly I have to ask myself, am I speaking words that may even have an element of truth, but that are not building up? What about with your children? Let's go out in the concentric circles. Grandchildren. Church covenant relationships. I'm not going to go any further than that. These are covenant relationships. And let's look at these these just just for a few minutes. Uh, Your strength is failing. Anybody here ever feel like your strength is failing? a few, if you're involved on mission, you know your commission, if you're involved in following Jesus, mission fatigue will get you, and I've said before to friends, I'm not tired of the battle, I'm just tired in the battle. There are a lot of you who know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not talking just about preachers. I am talking about workers in the church, Sunday school, a want-to-teacher. You ever just kind of, you're running low on steam and along comes a brother or sister or maybe a spouse or a child or a grandparent or whatever, and they remind you, ah, looks like you're running short on strength. I don't know if you're going to have enough to finish. too much rubble. Really? Yeah, well, yeah, the walls were built on rubble. Yeah, you just got too much junk in your life. And again, it's easy. It's easy for me to focus on the clutter. I, you know, it's interesting to observe, just come by the office sometime, unannounced, and come into one of our offices. The condition of the desk is an interesting thing to see. Jonathan, Uber organized. Eric, Uber, Uber organized. Rocky, yeah, <laughs> not so much. Me, uh-uh. It's, it's, everything's scattered. In fact, there are times when I, I just want to do like this. I want to, put my hand out here and go across my desk and slide it into my trash can and declare myself caught up. <laughs> I really do. Clutter. But, but see, the, the enemy comes along. There's too much rubbish. And he's not just talking about the clutter on your desk. He's talking about the stuff in your past. Christian, I, I, I saw, I don't know where I saw it. Oh, it was from Yesterday. Jack must have said it. I thought, this is good. So I altered my sermon again this morning. I wrote that down, got my notes. We don't live in the past, but the past lives in us. Ooh. And sometimes well-meaning people can remind us of that. Here's another one. You can't finish by yourself. Well, of course you can. not Sometimes you feel like you're in it all by yourself. And if you're not careful, guess what? The enemy will get you working in isolation. We talked about that yesterday, I think, Chip. We cannot do this thing called discipling in isolation. We can't do even our own personal growth in isolation. And so along comes a Nehemiah to encourage people. And by the way, fast forward 400 years, and along comes an Apostle Paul to give us some encouragement from Scripture. You know know what's going on here? As you build the walls of your life against the enemies of your soul, Paul's coming along and saying, here, Marty, you need another brick to use Chuck Swindoll's picture. Let me give you another brick to help you build a wall. You come alongside your, your wife or your husband, Hey, honey, let me give you another brick. Here's another brick coming from Galatians 6. Don't grow, that's actually 6-9, I believe. Grow weary of well-doing. Philippians 3, let's forget what lies behind. Let's strain forward to what lies ahead. Ecclesiastes, we need each other. Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly Broken. The enemy's going to come along and come among us and kill us. Did you catch that? How many times did 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 he say that? And and cut your losses. Stop and just join those of us who have quit. Ten times. I wrote down here, not in my notes, but this morning I was looking at it and I thought, wow, that's like listening to. News that is nothing but negative, And every program has the same negative news. It's, it's the same. It's the same. Ten times they're saying, your enemies are going to kill you. Just cut your losses. Quit. Stop. So what do you do? Wow. Look what Nehemiah did, verse 13. Look at it. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in those places, he said, guys, I'm not going to let you, the lowest part, you've been battered from internal enemies as well as external. I'm going to come alongside. I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Nehemiah handed them another brick. I, I just thought, Lord, help me, help me, help me in my family, in my relationships, covenant relationships. The only thing I can give the world is the gospel to help them not be good, to be converted. And then I can begin to help build, help them build kingdom reality with, by giving them another brick. And that's what we want, that's what he did. He came alongside. He said, Look, where it's weak, I'm going I'm to put somebody. That's that whole thing of isolation. Please don't think you can go it alone. And that's what he did. Now, verse 14, put a star by that in your Bible because that's the the key to the whole thing. And it, it is super, super good. Verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, I got them all, Don't be afraid. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Is that what he said? Nope. And that's where we miss it sometimes. Don't be afraid. Well, that's good for you to say. You don't know what's going on in my life. And we go immediately from the do not be afraid to the fight, but he puts something very, very important right in the middle. Don't be afraid. Here's how you battle anxiety and fatigue and fear. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And once you start doing that, you're going to have something to fight with. Hand people another brick. Look what Paul said to our day. He's telling Timothy, now remember, Timothy, he's already said you're a new citizen, but you're also a soldier But he reminded Timothy way, way in the future back, uh, well, in the future, like when Heritage Baptist Church exists, in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. Amen? Okay. So what do you do? What's the solution? Proclaim the word. That doesn't just mean listen to a preacher from the pulpit. You proclaim the word. That's the antidote. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. You use the word to proclaim. That is the antidote. I was tossed back to Deuteronomy. It's interesting. As they're going into the land, these are the marching orders. Look at how they parallel with what Nehemiah says and what Paul says. Today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Number one, don't be afraid. Don't let your heart faint. Number, uh, Don't fear or panic or be in dread of them. Number two, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight against your enemies. And then get in the battle so that you can have the victory. You're not going to have the victory without the battle. Okay, let me just give you a a word. This is... um, How do you remember the Lord? How do you remember anything? you got to be told first. So you you need to put yourself under the the Word in, in various ways. And one of the key ways that I have found... To beat the fatigue and the anxiety and the fear and all of the rest of that, boy, I'm going to sound like a broken record. To have a personal devotional time. I'm going to tell you by Monday morning, really, really, I'm a wreck. I've kind of ignored on Sunday afternoon with either activities or just going home and doing nothing, and I don't really give a lot of thought to what I say, and then by Sunday night, what I have said and what I've left out starts to creep in, and I start to cringe. I really do. And I, By Monday morning, I'm saying, oh, did I really say that? See, I, I'm probably tomorrow morning going to think that about what I just did. Did I really? Uh, why? why? why would I say that? And, and you just... And then I get up early and I'm following the one-year Bible plan. I'm amazed at how it parallels with many of the things that I'm studying and I open the Word and it's quiet with my cup of coffee and I'm just, just the Word of God is going in and throughout the day I remember the Lord, great and awesome and I remember what He has done for His people, His covenant people and think to myself, He can do that for me. And I'm not talking about triumphalism. I'm talking about preparing for the battle. And then sometimes I'll get with someone. That's another way. Just feed off of each other. What's the Lord been telling? You know what what you're doing? You know what you're doing when you get up? And Let me just plead with you. Get up 30 minutes earlier, which means you'll have to go to bed 30 minutes earlier that's no big deal. What are you missing if you go to bed 30 minutes earlier? The news? Don't, don't fill in that blank, maybe. But if you get up 30 minutes earlier, you know what you're doing? You're just handing yourself another brick. You're building. You meet with people, you're getting those walls built, and then you can fight for those covenant relationships. Let's move on. Second thing, increase your skill as a citizen-soldier of the work. That was the bulk of it, okay? The next two are going to go more quickly, but they need to be said. And this, this is one of the most awesome pictures of the citizen-soldier In the Bible, it it dovetails with Ephesians chapter 6. Increase your skill as a citizen soldier in the work of building the wall. I'm going to read this, starting with verse 15 and go through 20. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, whoa, we all returned to the wall, each to his work from that day on. Look at what's going on here. Half my servants worked on construction half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way. By the way, this is the verse from which Spurgeon got his title for his magazine, Sword and Trowel. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Put a star by that. And each of the builders had his sword strapped on his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall far from one another. So we're going to enact something in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally. Where you see some need, rally. To us there, our God will fight for us. Put a star by verse 20. Our God will fight for us. I love it. Verse 15, even though our enemies seem, wow, they seem overwhelming, we are going to win the victory. Individually, Philippians six. If you ever get that mission fatigue and anxiety, I'm not going to make it. There's a promise in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. That's an individual, to me, an individual promise. Let's look at a corporate promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Now, we are not passive in this. Do you see that from what we just read? We're not passive in this. We work. A citizen soldier uses tools and weapons... Like the study in four men with Shamgar. They did what they could. Where they were. With what they had. That's what they did. Now, again, this parallels with Ephesians chapter 6. About the belt and the breastplate and the boots and the shield and the helmet. And the offensive weapon of the sword and prayer. All of that is... Vitally important, but here here is where I really think the the warfare boils down to, for for us as citizen soldiers, the weapon of, weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They are divinely powerful to destroy strongholds. What are those strongholds? We're destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We're taking all of our thoughts and all of the thoughts that come to us captive to the obedience of Christ. I want you to look up uh, a a verse with with me, would you? Look this up real quick, real quick. You can write it down. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I love the book of Romans, you know that. We spent a little bit of time in the book of Romans a few years back. And Romans... Chapter 6. I, I just want to read this because it's a picture of what is going on. Verse 11. Here's the real, it, it, here's what I'm saying in this. Don't get lost in all of the little nuances of a shield and belt, and all of those have, have symbolic meaning. I know that. But here's the real crux of the matter Romans 6. So you, verse 11 so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Huge. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And verse 13 is, is, is stunning. Do not present your members. That's not the members of heritage. That Your, your body members to sin as, look it up, weapons. It says instruments. But in the translation, it is also translated weapons. So as you're submitting yourself, therefore, to God, don't present your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your members, your mind, your will, your emotions, to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. You know what it's talking? Holy conduct and a clear conscience. Last thing. By the way, How do you get there? I I, I mentioned the the quiet time a minute ago. The real key to success is plodding, P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G, plodding. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. Last thing, uh, we'll wrap it up with this. Resolve to do whatever it takes in the work of building the wall. Um, Wow. Verses 21 through 23, this is what they did. Verse 21, they maximized every opportunity to engage the work in the place where you, uh, excuse me. So we labored at the work, half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. But here it gets down to the nitty-gritty. Verses 22 and 23 talks about sacrificing personal comforts and even rights in the battle. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant Pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither, wow, I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Phew. So intense, and boy, I really had to do some soul searching. I'm doing it. What is my intensity that I will give up personal comforts, rights, so-called, and make myself uncomfortable? They didn't even change their clothes. so that the work of kingdom building can go on. A couple of applications, then we're through. And I'm going uh, to apply these really... Uh, you, uh, you, you can do with them what you will, okay? A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And I, I, I need to look at that. I need more self-control. So do you probably. I'm going I'm to apply this in two ways. Christian husbands, first of all. Okay? Most, most I'm a Christian husband, okay? I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying to do the best I can. So are you. But it's worth asking, how am I doing in helping my wife be built, my children, my grandchildren, covenant relationships, but primarily my wife, how am I dealing with her? Do you realize, husbands, that every time you speak the word into your wife, Paul uses the the symbolism, you're washing her. And if somehow, I, I'm not talking about a formal, everyday Bible study, but somehow if you aren't, if you are not speaking the word of God to wash your wife so that she's building her own wall to stave off the attacks, let me beg you to please go before the Lord and ask him to help you do it. Because every time you speak the word of God into your wife, you're handing her another brick. By which she, every time you pray with your wife, you're handing her another brick. By which she can be strengthened to withstand. This is about kingdom building. I'm not through with the men. We lead. What do you do? do? What do you do? when? when I've had guys say, my wife is, she's not worthy of it. Well, you do what Jesus did for us. Ephesians said, as Christ did it for the church, Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10, we read Romans 5, the first part of it, but husbands are to love their wives while they are helpless, while they are sinners, Verse 8, Christ died for us while we were sinners and while enemies. And I'm not talking about churches out there. I'm talking about churches right here. If the men of the church, it's not going to be perfect, and again, we're not talking triumphalistically, but if the men would begin to do that on a higher level than what we are doing or at least commit to do that, for the first time today. And I, I know there there's a measure of pressure here. I, I hope it's not human pressure, but divine tension. And and that, that that would transform this fellowship. It really would. One more thing to the guys, you're not off the hook yet. Because if you're a dad or if you're a now, by the way, wives, you can you can apply these things to your lives. Anyone can apply these things but we have specific commands about what we're to do. Every time you speak a word of encouragement from the word into the life of your child or grandchild, you're, you're handing them a brick to build the walls. And that's what we've been called to do as citizen soldier. Okay, we're through. I had one more thing to read, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save it. Uh, and just let, let's meditate on that. Now, if you're here today and you're going, whoa, that was a lot of, what's all this about wall building? And You may never have been converted out of darkness into God's light. You may have never repented of your sins and trusted Christ. That's where it starts. You become... follower of Christ by repentance and faith. I encourage you to do that. I beg you to do that and then begin to grow in your own kingdom building as God leads you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it pictures the things that we are to do and not to do. Help us to, by the power of your word, by the filling of your Holy Spirit, to carry out this advance on the kingdom of darkness around us and help us to know that you will equip us for every good work. Now, as we close this service, I pray that anybody who is here who's never been savingly joined to Christ would seek out someone, say, tell me what that means. Would you you walk with me through that? And uh, Lord, we would be glad to do it. I pray that you would Help us now as we uh, have some activities this afternoon to be blessed so that we can be a blessing to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.